This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to the Exchange Podcast. I'm Rob Cox, global editor of Reuters Breaking Views. In this episode, I spent some quality time with Yanis Varoufakis. You may remember him as the high-profile Greek finance minister during the country's tumultuous debt renegotiations, principally with Germany a year or so ago. He's famous for, among other things, his leather jacket, his motorcycle, and his interest in game theory, which he taught as an economics professor in Texas, funny enough, before trying to help the Syriza government in Athens uh, a year and a half ago. He came by to discuss his new book, And the Weak Suffer What They Must? It's a weird title, to be sure. It's kind of like a statement with a question mark. He tells us a little bit about that. It's not a tell-all so much as a dissertation on economics and how the global economy ended up in a sorry state since 2008. But I did get to talk to him about lessons learned from his five crazy months running the finance ministry. Chief among them, he said he regrets signing an extension of Greek loan agreements with the country's creditors. He said, quote, maybe we should have brought on the conflict, the clash earlier. He also says he thinks the Obama administration should have played a a more important role in helping the Greek government come to an honorable agreement with the rest of Europe. Looking out to the future, he was pretty clear that a British vote to leave the European Union would be very bad news indeed, not just for Britain, but the whole European experiment that has brought relative peace to the continent since 1945. He said uh, a Brexit would lead Poles, Hungarians, Italians, and Spanish to seek, quote, opt-outs that would effectively disintegrate the European Union. Anyway, give it a listen. Here's my chat with Giannis Varoufakis. Giannis joins me to talk about his new book, And the Weak Suffer What They Must? Question mark. I want to understand that title first and foremost, Giannis. I mean, what does that, why did you put a question mark in the title? Well, to give hope to those of us who believe that uh, it's not inevitable that the weak must suffer (laughs) and that there's nothing that they must suffer. So they Um, needn't suffer, but you're not 100% sure. No, I'm 100% sure that they need not to suffer. I'm not 100% sure that we can organize life and political life in such a way as to ensure that that doesn't happen. Right. Now, I'm thinking about your book. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's a fascinating book, but it isn't the tell-all that many people expected from your five months in this, you know, tumultuous period running the finance ministry in Athens. It's it's, It's actually much broader. You talk about sort of the underpinnings of the entire sort of monetary crisis. Why didn't you give us the good old tell-all that everyone wanted? Firstly, because I wanted to, 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 to let some distance and time pass between those uh, tumultuous events right. and when I actually sit down and write the, the thriller, as I call it in uh, my head. Okay. And secondly, and more So we've got a part two, yeah. Going to be right. But no, the most important thing is uh, Europe is sliding into a, a, an abyss. We're disintegrating and uh, we're going to inflict enormous damage upon ourselves and the rest of the global economy. And the question is this, 
Every time the United States has a financial crisis, whether it's the 19th century, 1907, 11, 29, 65, 71, mm -hmm. whenever, you guys managed to get closer together to create institutions that um, offer shock-absorbing capacity to the Union. We in Europe, we created our monetary union, then the first uh, strike, the first hit, created untold centrifugal forces that are pulling us apart. Now, why is that? Well, they're, they're different So that unions, is the question though. that the book is trying to right. answer. But they're very different unions. I mean, a fiscal well, union, exactly. a tax and tariff system like we have in the United States, sure. you're so far away from that in, in, in Europe. And in fact, we probably pulled away from it as a result. But you know, there's a, the, the, however, if you go 150, 200 years back in the history of the United States, it was a confederacy. Mm -hmm. You didn't have a proper functioning federal system and you were lacking many of the institutions as we are lacking them. And yet every time there was a financial crisis, you created them, you got closer together and we are not. Right. So that, so th this is the puzzle and the book is the answer. Right. Well, we had people like JP Morgan and various other actors who were able to jump in at certain times. But, um, but you had a lot more than that. Your state was created as a political mechanism for regulating social and political conflicts. Mm. Our European Union was created as a cartel of coal and steel initially, then they right. brought in the automakers, then the French farmers. And you know, cartels have a completely different texture and capacity to evolve into a democratic state than democratic states. Right. Well, so not, this is this is my history is littered with a whole bunch of examples of cartels that became well. It's successful the, only, the only example. Right. So, but, but so stepping into the the problem of the moment. I mean, how, we've got this European Union question mm. on the referendum in Britain on yes, in, in in months. I mean, how is that going to do anything but pull the European experiment apart if the the vote to leave takes place? If they vote to leave, Europe is going to enter into a new phase of disintegration. You are completely right. Mm. This is why I campaign in Britain. Uh, I did a few weeks ago. I will keep doing when when I go back to, sure. to Europe. Uh, I'm going. I'm campaigning vigorously for the Brits to stay in, and I'm the last person who can be accused of being a Brussels loyalist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm finding it all. Yeah, it's quite an interesting and conundrum. I, I, they do find yeah. the, the the British find it surprising when I say to them. You see, wait, you, you're the, the guy who almost broke up Europe, and now no, you're. I was a guy that was actually city. asphyxiated and completely right. utterly crashed by Europe. And you come to us and say you should, uh, that you should stay in, mm. that we should stay in, and the answer is yes. It's a dysfunctional family that needs therapy. And, what, and do you think they're uh, the not therapists? The Brits are the therapists? Or, I mean, what no, do you no. think their role is to play if you really want to get the European Union to move? The only way of uh, keeping the European Union together is by democratizing and rationalizing its institutions. That is not going to happen if countries, substantial countries like Britain, pick up the stamps and leave. That, that will simply make the Poles, the Hungarians, the Italians, and the Spanish uh, seek opt-outs that will effectively disintegrate the European Union. And if that happens, we're going to have a major defla deflationary shock throughout the continent of Europe, which is going to then affect very adversely Britain. So what I say to them is, you can, you can vote to leave, but you're not going to leave. You're going to, to, to be, you're stuck, be stuck, mired in this problem, mired in this problem with the European Union, which is affecting you adversely even more so than had you stayed. So you because might as of well the stay economic in. consequences, and because basically all the rules will still be made in Brussels, Indeed. that you'll be having to deal with in some way, shape. So or my way. argument is: yes, Britain needs to reclaim its democracy, but mm -hmm. the only way to do this is by staying in the European Union, joining up with those of us in Germany, in France, in Greece, in Portugal that want to create a pan-European movement for 
changing the functioning and the decision-making process in Europe. But what do you say to them? They say, well, wait a minute, what are you telling us? What are you lecturing us for this war when you're the guy who was running you know, with Greece and Greece is still unsolved as far as most people are concerned? Well, I'm the guy that the only reason why you know me, yeah. of me, is because I... your leather jacket and your motorcycle. Well, this is the <laughs> trivialization of the star system. Right. The, the, the reason why the attention uh, yeah. came towards me was because I was the first finance minister to look the powers that be in the eye and say, I'm not going to take one more euro from you until and unless we stabilize the Greek social economy. I'm not going to be one more finance minister from Greece, from Portugal, from Ireland that, that signs on the dotted line of another extend and pretend policy mm -hmm. where we pile up new unsustainable debt on old unsustainable debt on conditions that guarantee the shrinkage of the private sector. Right. So that's the kind of line we need in order to civilize Brussels. Well, we yeah. need finance ministers, we need prime ministers, we need members of parliament that say to them, no, we are not going to keep pretending that we are solving the crisis when we are doing no such thing. But you need someone on the other side to say, okay, we take a haircut. We need to reduce the debt. And that just still hasn't happened. Well, it hasn't happened because uh, Europe is in denial. Um, in 2008, we had a major financial crisis both in the United States mm -hmm. and Europe. There was a fundamental difference though. Here in the United States, in Washington DC, in New York, 10, 20 people got around to the table and asked themselves the pertinent question. What can we do to stop this crisis from consuming us? Right. In Europe, our leaders go together and they asked a very different question. How can we pretend that the rules that we had devised, which cannot be enforced, are being enforced? Uh, the two questions give rise to completely different answers and the answer to the second question perpetuates the crisis. Hmm. You came into this as a, you were an academic essentially, you know, with focus on economics and game theory. You were in Texas. What would you say to any other of your colleagues in the academy who say, hey, Giannis, I've got this opportunity to join the finance ministry, the economy ministry of my country. What, what do you tell them about? What's, what's your advice? Well, be prepared for a lot of pain, uh, but do it if you think that in the context of public service, you can make a, a difference and be prepared to resign when the powers that be ensure that you can't make a difference. Mm. And how about as a game theorist? What did you learn in, you know, when you were on the other side of the negotiating table with, say, with the Germans. What did you learn from that that helps you to understand game theory in ways that you might not have known when you were working in the classroom on it? Don't overlabor the game theory part. And the reason I'm I don't know that, enough about it to overlabor. Well, <laughs> sure, but let me tell you that um, I spent 25 years teaching game right. theory and researching game theory, and the one thing I was saying to students was, do not co confuse that which is interesting, game theory, mm -hmm. which that with what which is useful and game theory is not useful. It is useful in order to train your mind, just like playing chess is good for uh, sure. training your mind, but if you try to apply chess in real life, you're a fool and you're a danger to others and to yourself. So game theory is uh, an intellectual exercise of immense value for training one's thinking, but has nothing to do with real life negotiations. And I never tried to I mean, use game theory there, in it. I mean, didn't you play chicken with the German finance minister no. to some degree? No. no, 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 I was representing a bankrupt nation. I was representing right. a nation Already whose children are, to this day, a fainting class as a result of malnutrition. Mm. It was no time of games, for games. Uh, I was not playing a game. Our strategy was, this is what Alexis Tsipras, my prime minister and I had agreed initially at least, we would do. We would go in there, tell them how things are, propose uh, that we sit down and we find the 
common ground for a jointly agreed solution that would re require rebooting the Greek social economy mm. in order to have recovery. And we would not shift from that. And there would be no bluffing. Uh, what do you do when you bluff? You pretend you have a hand that you, get, that they you don't have. They knew you didn't have a hand so in terms of financial. I, I, I was absolutely committed not to bluff, mm. not to threaten, just to say things are this way, this is beyond reasonable doubt, and we need to stop extending and pretending the crisis, and we need to find a solution for the lack of credit to profitable firms. We need to reduce taxes, tax rates, because this is the only way of increasing our tax take. Sure. Uh, we need to do something about non-performing loans in the banking sector. We need to find to create a, a, an investment development bank to utilize uh, rationally the remaining public assets, and we need to reform uh, the state and the tax authority. And, and, and we are not going to budge until we come to an agreement that involves all this as well as a genuine debt restructure which maximizes the amount of money the creditors would get back in the end because this is what you know, Wall Street does all the time. They restructure mm, sure, sure. corporate debt in order to make sure they get more money track. back. So, uh, and, and if you want to crush us, do your worst. Right. And that was my line from the beginning to the end. Well, it sounds and they said, we'll crush you. Well, I mean, from the beginning, <laughs> you talk about in the foreword of the book where you go in and met, met the uh, finance minister and he did not extend his hand to you. Yes. Um, I mean, do you, what would you have done differently? If you were to go back and now look at it, analyze it, what, what would, how would you play it? Well, I would have done none of this different. Um, I, well, look, with hindsight, of course, yeah, hindsight. Does, I'm just, you know, you get, everything different. This is like we get to change time. For uh, the two regrets I have is one is that I signed uh, the extension of our loan agreement for four months, uh, thinking that we were creating more space for negotiation, for genuine, bona fide, right. good faith negotiation with the other side, when the other side was really not interested. They had no interest in that. The only thing they wanted to do was to drag this out until our liquidity ran out and then they could close our banks down and asphyxiate us. So right. it was a mistake to sign that. Right. Maybe we should have brought on the conflict, the clash, earlier by not signing this agreement. That's one thing I, I regret. The second thing I regret was that I did not speak out and inform the public uh, in time, in good time, in real time, mm -hmm. about what was being said behind closed doors. I didn't do it because it would have been considered casus belli by the creditors. Yeah, Again, yeah. I, f I was too optimistic about their interest in having genuine negotiations with us. Right. How would you describe the state of affairs now, let's say, bet the, between the, the Troika and Greece, or the IMF and Greece, given mm -hmm. some of the, a lot of the water? The one thing our audience there. needs to understand is that the picture portrayed in the press mm. is completely fake. The, the, the conventional well, wisdom is that there is a standoff between the Greek government and the creditors, and yet again, the Greek government is dragging its feet on the reforms, and the creditors are are exasperated. This is not what's going on. The Greek government surrendered last July, and this is why I'm not part of it. They that's why are, you resigned. They, that's why, this is why I resigned. The Greek government is ready to do what it's told. The problem lies in an almighty epic struggle between the IMF and the German government. They are completely at loggerheads on what to do. The IMF believes that Greece without a debt restructure um, is simply a lost cause. On the other hand, the German government has a serious political problem going to the federal parliament in Berlin and admitting that the loans that the Greeks were given in the first place were given under, under false pretenses. That, mm -hmm. th that was never a bailout for Greece. It was a bailout for Deutsche Bank, for, for Societe Generale, for the French and the German banks. Right. And they just, just can't bring themselves, especially in the middle of a political crisis in Germany 
with the chancellor's uh, ratings uh, going down and uh, conflicts within the ruling party right. and the ruling coalition, Many they simply don't want to, to do this. Yeah. So they, you know, it's a, remember Henry Kissinger, when I want to talk to Europe, I don't know who, whom to call. <laughs> Similarly, when I was in government, and I'm sure the prime minister now, uh, right. doesn't know who to talk to. Because you talk to the IMF, you get one story. You get to do, you talk to the finance minister of Germany, you get another story. You talk to the chancellor of Germany, you get a completely different. So the creditors haven't got their, their act together as to what they demand of the Greek government. Right, right. So let me let me ask you what worries you. I mean, looking out look a bit further out. I mean, we talked about Brexit, the possibility mm -hmm. there. Obviously, that gives a signal to other other nations to do the same. Does it worry you? Beyond Europe, I mean, if let's say that the, the the Brits were to leave the European Union, what do you think it happen, What do you think happens here? Well, what worries me is that Europe is perfectly capable of inflicting terrible damage upon the United States, China, Latin America, India, once more, like we've done, you know, twice in the in the last hundred or so years. We can do it again. At the moment, we're exporting deflation to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. We are the major destabilizing economic block in the world. China tried to rebalance the North Atlantic economies by borrowing a lot of money, by creating the bubbles, by boosting investment to untold levels right. in order to uh, balance out the deleveraging that was happening in Europe and in the United States after 2008. Mm. Uh, the United States has managed one way or another to um, stabilize itself, its own economy. Europe has not. Mm. And this is why we are a cesspool of deflationary forces that are coming out of Europe and are destabilizing Janet Yellen's uh, approach, uh, the administration's approach, and certainly China. So my great worry is that we are in a moment very similar to 1930. That is, just after the Wall Street collapse, mm -hmm. destabilized the common currency of the era, which was the gold standard, and just before Europe slid into an abyss of proud nations turning against one another, simply because they failed to consolidate, right. simply because they failed to cooperate and resolve a, a typical coordination failure problem. Uh, and it is important that we Democrats, whether we are left-wing, right-wing, progressive conservatives, whatever, we bind together to stop this uh, slide into xenophobia, into pointing moralizing figures, the Germans against the Greeks, the Greeks against the Germans, everybody hating the French, um, well, the, British, bring, the right. British wanting to get out and, and well, so Well, that's forth. why I'd say, what about the United States? I mean, we now have a xenophobic, a candidate who is spouting xenophobia, there's no other word no. for it. Doesn't, isn't that part of the same problem? So if you're worried about yes. a coordination, of, you know, a failure of coordination um, and countries moving into their own isolationist positions, mm -hmm. is Donald Trump must scare the hell out of people. Of course he does. Yeah. Of course he does. Except that America is a lot more homogeneous and unified in terms of its institutions. You have automated systems for absorbing shocks in this country that we lack in Europe. So if Europe if I'm correct in my assessment that Europe is exporting deflationary forces to this country and making stagnant wages even more stagnant, uh, create, creates more volatility in the money markets mm -hmm. and so on, uh, then the Trump phenomenon gets reinforced by what's happening in Europe. Right. And if China uh, falls off a cliff, again because uh, Germany has directed its net exports from the periphery of Europe to China, and China simply cannot take this shock mm. anymore, and then that destabilizes the relationship between China and the United States. Against the Donald becomes more powerful because of the collective failures of the of global capitalism, which are underpinned by the sick man of, 
of, of the global capitalist well, you, world, which I mean, is Europe. But if you have the Euro if if you have the UK withdraw from mm -hmm. essentially the EU, let's call it a giant trading platform. Why wouldn't the U.S. withdraw from NAFTA, and why? Well, surely, it's impossible to see Hillary Clinton going for TPP or whatever it might be. I mean, that isn't this. This is sort of a Smoot Hawley like, re, you know, uh, revisitation in some way. Well, after the 1929, I keep going yeah. back to this comparison because I think it's pertinent and useful. After 1929, we had a renationalization of ambition. We had uh, competitive yeah. devaluations. And we had uh, the beggar thy neighbor ideology that led us to the abyss of mm. the Second World War. So what you're describing is uh, also my it's view of the great threats that we're facing. Uh, it is important, however, to note that you don't have to go to Donald Trump. On the one hand, President Obama was extremely positive when our government was elected, for instance. Right. He's, he made a, a pertinent statement. He said that um, the principle of the greater the greatest austerity for the most depressed nation is not one that uh, makes much sense. He was completely yeah, right. But, but at the same time, the U.S. Treasury Department, for instance, did absolutely nothing to intervene in the fiscal waterboarding of Greece into the... the fiscal... This is your term for austerity, right? Not just austerity. Just, not, yeah. not just austerity. No, the real fiscal... Remember right. what waterboarding is. You take the subject yeah. and you bring it to the verge of death and through asphyxiation, and then you give it a bit of oxygen. And then you start the process again. Right. This is what has been happening for six years now with Greek governments. Uh, the, the equivalent of asphyxiation was turning off liquidity, mm. bringing the, the, the government to the verge of default, to the verge of outright uh, uncontrolled bankruptcy. Then the government would accept to reduce pensions, to reduce wages, in other words, to give austerity another 12. Yeah. And then it's given a bit of liquidity, and then it's, you start again. And the deflationary forces that were unleashed in the periphery of Europe through this fiscal waterboarding of nations like Greece then creates the negative interest rates in Germany. And now you have pensioners or uh, savers in Germany, conservative, good Germans who've worked all their lives, who don't right. give a damn about the Americans, about the Greeks, but nevertheless care about the fact that they're a stockpile of money is shrinking because of negative interest rates. Mm -hmm. And then they turn to the ultra-right. They start hating the Greeks, right, the Syrians, right. the Americans, uh, uh, the Italians who happened, you know, Mario Draghi and the ECB. Sure. And the whole thing is spins out of control. And, and, and the American administration, forgetting Trump for the moment, yeah. um, is responsible for having withdrawn from Europe, from having played no role in creating a better social contract in Europe, in helping our government, for instance, achieve an honorable agreement with the rest of Europe, because this could have been the first step for so stabilizing Europe and therefore stabilizing America. They should have played a more pol a politically heavier role rather than, I mean, I'm not sure what they could do in markets. I mean, it is. No, you know, this is not markets anymore. No, this is, this this is, is pure political. 19th century yeah. power politics. So, you know, third day I was in the Ministry of Finance. The president of the Eurogroup, that is the group yeah. of finance ministers of uh, the Eurozone, came to my office and put it very succinctly. Either you continue with the existing austerity programs, the program that we were elected yep. to challenge, or your banks will be closed by the end of the month. Now, this is not Did they have markets. baseball bats when they came into your office? They didn't need it. You know, once, <laughs> once upon a time, they dissolved good democracies right. through the tanks. Now they use the banks. And, and, and you know, this, is, this is not a market no. working. This is brutish, 19th century um, gunboat diplomacy. Right. And this is really... It's not, I'm not criticizing them for using too much power and for minding their own interests. I'm criticizing them in the same way that John Maynard Keynes criticized the Versailles Treaty. The Versailles Treaty was not just a, a treaty imposed by the strong on the weak. It was a silly treaty, which in the end well, we know did a lot of us. damage yeah. to the strong. 
Right. This is exactly what's happening in Europe today. Right. Well, I hope we don't have the sort of the same outcome for Greece so as we I. had in Germany after that. Um, well, thank you very well, much. Well, we actually have had, you know, we have Nazis in Parliament. I now. know you do. I know yeah. you do. So we yeah. already had that, that result. Well, I, I hope you'll go back and keep that uh, under, under boil so we don't see that anymore. But, uh, we'll do our best. Let me, let me ask you one more question. Um, you talk about beggar thy neighbor politics. Mm -hmm. or in, I mean, how do you see monetary policy? Isn't that already happening? Or don't we already have the negative interest rates? Sure. And isn't this essentially a policy of devaluation of currencies? It is, but don't shoot the messenger. The central bank, the Fed, is just a messenger. Yeah. When you've got savings exceeding investment, uh, and you keep dropping the interest rate, which is the, the price of money, and savings and investment are not balanced, equilibrated, mm -hmm. then inter the interest rate will have to go lower and lower and lower. Uh, and this is what the central bank can do. It can't do anything else. It's politics that has failed to lift investment through either fiscal policy or some new deal solution, which is not in the realm of monetary policy. All right. Well, thank you for coming by and good luck with the book. Thank you very much. So Varoufakis is no longer working for the Greek government, but I have a pretty strong sense he won't be going away as a force for change and perhaps a fair amount of disruption in Greek economic life and probably more broadly across Europe. In any event, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with another Exchange podcast soon. In the meantime, if you like what you hear, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at Breaking Views or at Rob One Cox. Adios, Antio, and goodbye. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.